Okay, learning church from the word, study seven. Um, spiritual gifts in the local church, and I've I've called this podcast two or C or local church C if you like. It gets a bit confusing here because it means there really been three parts to spiritual gifts in the podcast uh, area. Now it's still study seven because we did it all in one night, but we're going to look now at another couple of questions that come up um, when we deal with spiritual gifts. And these come out of First uh, Corinthians chapter 14. The next question is, what should regulate the use of gift in the public gatherings of the local church? Now notice that it is the public gatherings of the local church that Paul is looking at. Uh, come with me please to First Corinthians and chapter 12, the end of it. He has, he has spoken about the importance that people have and everybody has a gift and a function. Uh, in the body of Christ, and as, as a local church, um, we are part of the body of Christ. We are, um, if you like, body of Christ in character. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Now, he has said, now, God has appointed certain people in the church office, if, if, if you like, those who have a, a role, a particular role. He says, first, verse 28, chapter 12, First apostles, secondary prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and so on. And he goes around until the end of the list, he comes on to tongues. Because you see, they were putting tongues at the top of their list. They thought that was really important. Everybody should be speaking in tongues and uh, so on. And so he says in verse 30, um, do you all have gifts of healing? Do you all speak in tongues? Do you all interpret? No, of course not. Then he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts or the better gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes to speak about love, as we have thought about in the last uh, podcast. Now, then in chapter 14, you notice how he starts it. Chapter 14, verse 1, he's going to say, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, uh, we just read this um, and we say to ourselves, Okay, so he's dealt with this idea of pursuing love in chapter 13. And he started speaking about this at the end of chapter 12, the idea of desiring spiritual gifts, and particularly certain ones, those that are good in some way or better. Now, how are they better? Because I mean, he has been speaking to them and saying, everybody has their own gift. You've been placed where you are and, and God is working through you and nobody should think that someone else is not important. So all of a sudden he seems to be speaking about better gifts and we say well how could they be better Paul you've been saying that things aren't same and um, and, and in some sense that everyone has a gift that that they can contribute to the whole I, I suggest that the answer to this lies in the fact he is speaking about the public gatherings of the local church there are some gifts that are more suited to public gatherings and particularly the the gathering together of the assembly of the local church and so you'll find in this chapter 14 that on five occasions i think it is he'll use this expression um that when you come together or whatever and and really the thought is when you're gathered in, in the public sense in the local church there are certain gifts that should be prominent at that time and you should as a collective company i take it you should desire those you should Go after those. You should long that those are the gifts that are being displayed in that public arena. I mean, 
for example, we are all gifted, but the way, for instance, the eyes work is not the same than the way the hands work. Now, both are vital to the body and to the functioning of the body, but if I was to stick my head down under the steering wheel and drive along and put my hands up, that would be a problem because my eyes should be looking out through the window. Um, and so there's a sense in which your eyes have to be in that prominent place because they're doing a vital function as you drive. Now, there's other times when if you're hanging off a ledge, you know, your, your hands are more uh, vital and that they're functioning the way they should be than your eyes. You're probably just closing your eyes and praying if you're hanging off a ledge. So the point I'm making is this. What he seems to be now focusing in on is... In chapter 14 is the public use of gift. The use of gift, not just even in the public arena, but the use of gift as a local church of believers is gathered together as a church where the believers are all there. You would be wanting to focus on the gifts that are most uh, beneficial to all those who are there. Okay? So that seems to be where he's going to go in his argument. It's helpful to to understand, uh, I think, how that is following through. So coming back to the handout, and as I say, we're, as I say, very confusingly, this is study seven still. Um, uh, Study seven, spiritual gifts in the local church. Uh, part B, or if you like now, part C or part B2. Uh, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 14 and we'll pray and uh, we'll try to just get an idea of what's happening through this chapter. Just tag, tagging it into the end of chapter 12 for a minute. But earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you more excellently. And then he went into chapter 13. Now back to chapter 14. Pursue love desire spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy for he who speaks in his tongue does not speak to men but to God but no one understands him however in the spirit he speaks mysteries but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies his church I wish you all spoke with tongues but even more that you prophesied For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless indeed he interprets that church may receive edification. But now brethren, if you come, uh, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? So likewise you, unless you're uttered by the tongue, words easy to understand, how will it be known what's spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them are without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. 
What is the conclusion then? I will pray with my spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with my spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he occupy the place of the uninformed? Say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the others not edified. I thank God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying is not for believers, uh, not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of their mind? But if you prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced of all, he is convicted by all, and thus he, the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren? Whether you come together, whenever you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edifying. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be by two, or at the most three, each in turn on that one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who is sitting by, let the first one keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the church. For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it to you only it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. And if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. When we come to a subject, a chapter like this, um, we have a problem. Uh, we don't actually have a problem, I don't believe, but it would seem like we have a problem. Um, you look at, at chapter um, 14 and you see tongues and you see prophesy um, and we immediately say to yourself, oh well, if Paul spends a whole chapter on it, Surely these two gifts are, are still in vogue today. Why would he take a chapter to explain a whole lot of things that's not relevant if there's no tongues and no prophesying? Now, if you've read the chapter closely, you'll realise that the gifts that he chooses are almost secondary to the point that he is making. I'll try to explain that uh, just for a minute. What he is seeking to teach them, and he does this throughout all his uh, studies... Uh, what he's seeking to teach them throughout this letter 
is to use spiritual principles wisely. And not he's not actually here at this point in time trying to say that tongues are the problem. No, no, he's actually trying to teach them that edification and the building up of others is why you would use spiritual gifts. Now you notice the difference there. What he's going to do is take two gifts that are no longer extant with us and he's going to actually use them as a comparative between a gift that is more suited for public use in the local church and a gift that is less suited for public use in the local church. And if we get the principles that he's telling us, then we can understand how we in our era and our time with the gifts that we have how we can use them, our gifts, best in the local church uh, public setting, if you like. And so keeping that in mind, what he's going to do is look at the comparative value of tongues and prophecy. And he's going to show them for what they are in the context of a local church. Because you see, in Corinth, they were all into the external promotion of outward everything was to do with the outward um, the fleshiness the puffed up the puffed up nature of them you can think of chapter 3 and chapter 5 everything about them was just a kind of outward show that they wanted to project and so the danger was they, they found a, a gift that just sounded wonderful like I say a tongues gift where, where someone was speaking a language that they didn't know, and it just sounded so glorious and and missed it in the, it was just just wonderful. And they thought, why don't we spend most of our times, people speaking in tongues? Why don't we follow these people? Why why don't we promote these people to an important place among us? And so Paul is taking this whole subject of the regulation, um. And the use of gifts uh, in, in the local church uh, and how we're, we're going to regulate that. And what are the principles that we must keep in mind when we're thinking of local church um, gift use, if you want to put it that way. So first of all, now we'll come back to tongues and prophesying because I realise it's a big issue with people. Because we have a modern day tongues movement. Now, I guess... What I would say is this, that the modern day tongues movement is that. In other words, for the first 18 and a half um, centuries of, of church testimony, apart from at the beginning, briefly, during um, the, the, the apostolic era, there was not much mention of tongues until the sort of the, the mid-1800s when it resurfaced and and, and was developed and so on. Uh, so it, there's a big glaring omission as we run through an awful lot of years of church history. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is that an oversight of the Christians for 18 or 19 centuries? Or is there something not th that's different about the tongues movement today from what there was in the New Testament? We'll have to ask those questions. And we'll try to look at some of those things uh, in a short while. 
But let's look at the passage first for a little while. Edification on the use of gifts in the local church, the first 26 verses. And notice what he does firstly in the first five verses. He compares the importance of these two gifts. He says, um, verse number two, For he speaks in a tongue, does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, he's not denigrating this use of the tongue. This is the biblical use of tongues. So, of course, he's not going to denigrate it uh, or say anything against this. Um, that is a big difference than what we're going to see as we try to compare this use of tongues with uh, the use of tongues today. So, as he speaks about the biblical use of tongues, he says, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. That's a good thing. But he says even the biblical use of tongues has a limitation. He is not speaking to men, but to God. No one understands him. Really what's happening in the, in the local church is that there is not much understanding as to what the person is saying. But he who prophesies, and in the context of the New Testament, as the New Testament prophet, as before the, the scriptures are completed, there were those who stood up and they say, this, Thus saith the Lord, a bit like an Old Testament prophet, and they brought the particular message of God to that company for that occasion. Now, we now have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the faith once for all delivered to the saints. James, or Jude chapter, or Jude, I think it's verse 3, or verse 4. Um, and we are therefore not as, we're not tied to New Testament prophets in that sense. In fact, if someone's going to give us a word from the Lord, that's in addition to the New Testament canon, there, there are problems there because we have what we are meant to believe. We have the faith. Uh, it has been revealed to us. You'll remember passages in Revelation and so on which speak about adding to and so on. So coming back here for a minute. But he prophesies, in other words, who speaks forth God's word, if you want to just take it more generally at the moment, he speaks to edification, exhortation and comfort to men. So edification, building up, exhortation, stirring up, and comfort, cheering up. That's his purpose. In other words, in the local church, while no one understands the tongue speaker apart from God and himself, this man is actually benefiting the people in the local church that are gathered together. He who speaks in the tongues edifies himself, because you see his understanding is needed for edification. But he who prophesies, he edifies the whole church. And then he goes on, he wish you spoke with tongues. It's a spiritual gift, the biblical spiritual gift I'm talking about. But even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So you can see the point he's making here. The point that Paul is making is that in order for edification to occur, there has to be a clear message communicated to the mind of the individuals. And they have to understand it. The person who speaks the tongues will be blessed in his own spirit. He will be understanding what he's doing. It's not just gibberish for, to him. No, uh, he is understanding it. But if, unless he interprets it, or someone else interprets it, but unless he interprets it, the church is not blessed or edified. They're not built up in any way. So you can see immediately he's making an obvious distinction between tongues and prophesy. 
Yeah, they're two, they're two God-given gifts. But when it comes to the importance and the use of the local church as they're gathered together, you can immediately see that prophecy has more of a blessing for the people. Verse number six. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, now he's going to compare the impact now over several verses. Down to verse number 20. Compare the impact of the use of these two gifts. If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? In other words, you can't benefit from this unless you hear it in your own language. Even things without life. He says you can even take an example from the musical world. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, these musical instruments. When they make a sound, unless there's a distinction made in the sounds, unless a, a tune is played, how will it be known what is played or piped? You know, Isaac um, has had my tin whistle once or twice. Um, you know, he can't make a tune. He might make a noise, he does make a noise, but it's not a tune. And so there is no coherence, there's no message being communicated, there's not a tune being sounded out it's just a noise for then he goes on and he says now that is a problem if if we're in a local church and we're gathered together and someone is just making a noise for the if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound who will prepare for battle you see the whole point in the local church is that when there's communication happening as we're gathered together that we should be communicating a message for the benefit of the company and if the trumpet use the illustration here of the, 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 the trumpet that would uh, blast before people went out to war. If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, you can't hear what it's saying, who shall prepare for battle? He says, so likewise you, unless you utter with a tongue, physical tongue, words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? You will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kind of languages in the world. There's not one of them that doesn't have a significance. Therefore, if you don't know the meaning of the language, the tongue, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks a foreigner to me. So he says, listen, whatever realm you go into here, the realm of, of, of music, even the idea of, of, of a trumpet that's being used for battle, or whether we're just thinking of the language as it is in this case, the, the local tongue that's being used, I'll be a foreigner to him. He who speaks shall be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, he says, you are all into tongue, to, tongue use. Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In other words, think of it like this. Make sure that the gifts that are on display in the local church as you're go, going about the public gatherings are the gifts that are for the blessing of of the people in that church. Therefore, let him who speaks in the tongue, in a tongue, pray that he may enter. But now what he's going to do now, you'll see from verse 13, he's going to give him some regular regulation, some regulative principles to abide by something to keep in mind. If you're going to speak in a tongue, a biblical tongue, we've mentioned that already, pray that he may interpret. In other words, don't just speak in a different language that no one can hear. Rather, make sure it's interpreted for the benefit of all. 
For if you pray in a tongue, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. In other words, I am enjoying it in the deep inner recesses of my heart. But my understanding, I take it what he means here, is my understanding is unfruitful to others in the gathering. No one else can take it and, and develop fruit from it. It's my understanding, but it's no good to you. What's the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. In other words, I will make sure that I am in enjoyment of it. I will also pray with the understanding. I will make sure that other people can enter into the good of it. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing also with the understanding. In other words, I'll make sure that everybody can understand. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, in other words, without the understanding, your blessing using tongues, say, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't understand what you say? So he say, in, in the local church gatherings, at the end, it is the place of everyone to be able to say amen. They should be able to say, I agree. So be it. But if you're blessing with the Spirit, and he can't understand a word you're saying. You know, that can be even a problem sometimes. And where, where you go, if, you, if you're from Northern Ireland and you come to some parts of Scotland, if we go over to the East Coast and sometimes, they, you know, the dialect is so extreme. I, I remember after a meeting, uh, I was speaking over uh, in that part of the world uh, and a this lady came out afterwards and she was obviously wanting to communicate something deeply to me uh, about the fact that she had appreciated what I'd said. I could get that much, but I couldn't get any of the words. Uh, and it was kind of left half uh, nodding and, and trying to not look too embarrassed by the fact that I hadn't a clue what she was saying. You see, you can bless with a spirit, but I was in the place of the uninformed. I couldn't understand it. You see, what you're doing when you introduce a tongue into a local church they're a church of the one language, obviously, and you're speaking a different language, you are actually creating a division. You are creating a different place for those who are uninformed. Those who don't know exactly what you're at. Perhaps they've come in and they don't know about the fact that you're praying in tongues. They don't even, in, in the tongue, uh, the gift of tongues, they don't have a clue what that tongue is, they've never heard it before. What they cannot really truly say amen at your giving of thanks. So you, because they don't understand what you're saying. For you to give thanks well. But the other is edified. He says, I thank my God. He, Paul goes on. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown or in a tongue. So what is he saying here? He's saying his use of tongues was more than they all. Now we can think of what that means in a minute. Um, is he saying that he used it in the same way as in Acts chapter 2 when tongues were used it seemed uh, for, for spreading to people of different nations the wonderful works of God? Is he saying that when he speaks to, to Jews, we'll think about this in a minute, and, and they're, they're unresponsive, and he speaks to, then he can speak to the Gentiles, there's a message that goes out to the Gentiles, past the Jews, and that's actually a sign gifted. It speaks to those 
Jews that are still there, that another language is being used. A, a language that should indicate something to them, but we'll think of that in a little while. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So it's very clear, he says, rather than going ahead and using a foreign language, and I take it to be a foreign language rather than a, a angelic utterance or an ecstatic language, the, the biblical use of tongues was a foreign language. You see that from Acts 2, I take it. Um, <clears throat> I would rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So you can see how he emphasised, he's comparing the impact of, of the use of these things among the people of the assembly. Now he bronze it, he contrasts the influence on the testimony assembly, not just within, but without. So look at verse 20 um, down to no, 26. Now... I'll spin through this quickly and then I'm going to pick up something uh, about this idea of tongues. Brethren, don't be children in understanding, however malice be babes. He says, you're being children in the wrong things. You're being childish and childlike as to your understanding of the use of the gift of tongues. In malice be babes. He says, you can keep that childlikeness for areas like malice, where the little six-month-old baby... It has no malice, and so you should be like that. But don't be keeping your understanding at the same level. In understanding, be mature. 21, he says this. He says, do you not remember? I'm going to quote to you from the Old Testament in the law it's written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. Yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. And then he's going to draw something from the, the scripture that he's quoted. Now he, that scripture has to do with the children of Israel, the Jews. Uh, and it really in the context has to do with them hearing the sound of other tongues in their land. Or, or when they're put it to, taken to a different land. Um, there, there's that thought. and When they listen to the sound of other tongues. They'll know that God must have moved in judgment against us. We must be being set aside or rejected in some way. Because in our land... It should be our language. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. You'll remember that. They heard people speaking in other language. There were two things came out of that, I think. There's, there's the flip of the coin. There is judgment coming upon the nation because of their sin. There is blessing flowing out past the nation to other nations. And so a, langu a different language is used. And that is a sign that's the point that's being made. Now look at verse 22 for a minute. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. He says, why are you using your tongues among believers? It's really for the unbelievers. But prophesying, it's not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Speaking the word of God, uh, communicating the word of God to to believers for their edification and exhortation and comfort, that is, a, that is something that's for believers. Therefore, he says, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there, those that come who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not think you're out of your mind? You imagine this scenario, which has happened more than once, 
where people come along. I've had, I've had um, colleagues in work, my memory servants, who, correctly speaking, about going along to, um, to, uh, Pentecostal groups that they have some form of tongues, not like this biblical tongues that we have here, obviously. Um, and hopefully it'll become obvious as we go through. Um, but the first impression that the unbeliever, the uninformed person, as they come in, is that you are out of your mind. Why are they speaking in a different language to each other? It makes no sense. But of all prophecy, if, if you go in and, and the, somebody opens the word of God and communicates the truth from it and something that's relevant to the people's lives and they're blessed by it and they're changed by it and they're coming along and observing, you'll be convicted by the word. Thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling down his face he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So you see he said, you see, listen, the purpose of it is is for, firstly, it's the tongues are meant to be used for unbelievers, not believers. He says, if they're being used among believers, rather than unbelievers, it just looks crazy. And if you imagine an unbeliever coming in in that environment and saying, what is this all about? How is it then, brethren? When you come together, everyone has a time, or everyone has a psalm, everyone has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. He says, this is the overriding principle of the whole section. This is the timeless truth that you have to take from what I'm saying. As you gather in, local, in a local assembly and you're using your gifts in a public way, make sure it's done for the edification of all. And let it be done, all things be done, for building up. Now, I feel like I have to take a few minutes out to speak about tongues specifically um, this will only be just to conclude what we're going to say if you're speaking to someone and they say listen in our gathering um, we use tongues we think it's it's in the bible and we think that we should use it now there are many good believers that come from that persuasion and um, I don't be taking anything from what I'm saying that in any way should make you think that um, I don't love those believers. I do. But there are several major issues. The, the issue number one really is an issue of how they read the Bible. Um, they often have a problem where they, 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 they would take certain passages out of the Bible and they immediately read their experiences into the passage. They don't read the, the scriptures, try to understand it, and then take that and apply it to their experience. They do it the wrong way around, I would say, okay? Now, in saying that, <clears throat> there is a, a, a suggested way I have for maybe speaking to people like that. Um, just think of the mnemonic clips for a minute. Clips. So when somebody comes and says to you about tongues... Try to take them back to comparing it with what the New Testament says about tongues. Compar comparison. You make a comparison with the New Testament tongue. Tell them to take a study. They do a study with them on the use of tongues in the New Testament. What were the tongues? Um, how were they used? When were they used? 
were there specific uses were they used more generally was it just a certain percentage of people who had this gift we'll see that is true chapter 12 uh, do all speak in tongues no not all people speak in tongues so compare it with the new testament often what you find very obviously what is there is not like what is in the new testament the same could be said to prophecy You'll remember when you're speaking about prophesying and somebody's saying, listen, we, we, we prophesy in our gatherings. Just remember that the Old Testament prophet had to be right all the time. Not 30% of the time or 60% of the time or 50% of the time. He had to be right all the time. That was one of the the tests of a prophet. That when, when he said something and it came to pass, well, he was more likely to be right, but... There was a second um, challenge, which was it had to fall in line with the truth of Jehovah as revealed. So as the Lord was revealed to the people, if this person said something, he says, so whatever's going to happen, and then he tried to draw them away to other gods as well, he was a false prophet. If he was drawing them towards the Lord and what he said was happening, it did happen, he was a true prophet. If what he said was happening didn't happen he was a false prophet okay so the same thing happened now i don't know anyone in prophecy and i've kind of got got slightly into the side here in prophecy i don't know anywhere that say in the new testament prophets area where they kind of say that they get a hundred percent right it just doesn't happen i don't think healing it could be a similar argument yet but anyway compare with the new testament the first thing you do with tongues Compare it with the New Testament use of tongues. And the other uses of tongues. Maybe make a comparison with the fact that um, tongues are not only found in evangelical Christianity, they're found in Catholicism. Ask the question, is that the same thing? Why, why is it something that wasn't just seen in the 70s and the 60s, whatever, in... in, in um, evangelical bible believing churches um but actually across the spectrum into catholicism and actually tongues are used in other um religions so the, these kind of tongues that they're speaking about are, are, are this 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 idea of, of the use of tongues um in the ecstatic utterances is actually used outside of Christianity altogether. So what I, what I would be asking is, have you compared it with the New Testament? Have you compared it with the other uses of tongues? So let's see. Secondly, L, language. You see, Acts chapter 2, the first use of tongues that we come across in the New Testament, it was specific languages and dialects that were being um, heard by the hearers so it would seem and as you follow this through the New Testament and even this um, verse that's quoted from the Old Testament what you have with other tongues is other languages so they are literal languages they're not heavenly languages ecstatic languages whatever they're, they seem to be languages of people groups so is that what they have in their local church what about the interpreter passage because often these things i think anyway and i'm not an expert in the tongues movement but it seems that often these things have to be um that might be uninterpreted uh, not interpreted 
It should be interpreted. It's clear here that there should be someone who is communicating and is, is, is tasked to communicate the truth of what that brother is saying. What about the purpose of it? Now, this is, this is I, I've done interpret, or interpreter, um, P, purpose. What was the purpose of tongues? It was a sign gift. We'll think of that in a minute. But what was the purpose? With men of other tongues and other lips, I speak to this people. You see, it, was, it had a specific purpose to the Jewish nation. And, and here was Corinth, and it was sitting beside a Jewish synagogue, and you'll remember how all that uh, occurred at the beginning. And, and there were obviously Jewish elements and aspects to, to the Corinthian life, as well as Gentile ones, Jew-Gentile and Church of God. So here, here was a scenario where, where there was a time and a place for the biblical use of tongues. You were speaking to, uh, debating with, um, Jewish people and you broke into a different language and you communicated to others and that should have been to them a recognition that with other tongues, other lips do I speak to this people? It's a sign It's a, the purpose of it all was was a sign to unbelievers they should have said goodness, he is speaking it um, either in our language or in another language or whatever and that should have convicted them of the fact that the Jewish nation was being set aside and God was moving out past them to the Gentile nations and so on so there was a purpose in it which was very specifically for unbelievers verse 22 it's not to those who believe but to unbelievers uh, then it's there's another P you can put in that P and it's the whole idea of a petering out, First Thessalonians, First Corinthians chapter thirteen. So I would say that in First Corinthians thirteen, tongues will cease, and the thought seems to be, uh, from the word, it definitely seems to have that thought that the tongues will cease of their own accord. That's the, I think it's in the middle voice. It's the idea of the tongues ceasing, petering out when their purpose is over. And of course, when AD seventy happened and the Jewish nation was removed from its uh, from its um, place and of privilege, as it were, when it was crushed under the heel of Rome, the use for this this gift seems to have petered out, and that seems to be consistent with with history. Um, and then, of course, S sign gift. It was a sign gift. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. And so it was a, a message hidden in it, as it were, to the nation itself. And so this is how it would have been used, it would seem, in the first century. Now, more could be said, but just might be helpful to keep some of those things in your mind if you're speaking to people about these subject matters. Now, in saying all that, I would just mention this as I finish. Um, as Paul goes down this passage... He comes into another, he says, if anyone speaks in tongues, he doesn't forbid them from speaking in the biblical use of tongues. But he restricts them. He regulates the speaking. Two of the most three, each in turn, one interpreter. There is to be a tight regulation on it. If there's no interpreter, let him keep silent. He can speak to himself and God. When the prophets, however, 
there's less restriction on it because that gift is more suited for the local church. He says um, they all can prophesy, all, all the prophets can prophesy, one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Now he seems to still restrict the idea of spiritual excess, verse 32. Verse, and the, and the subject and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, the prophet can't just get up and r- get run away with himself and say, oh, it was just the spirit took over me. Not at all. The spirit of the, sub- of the prophet is subject to the prophet. He can finish when someone else has a word from the Lord. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And we'll finish our thoughts there. So, the idea seems to be that not confusion, but peace. That all things be done decently and in order, you'd say in verse 40. Um, that all things be done to edify. The two big principles that come as to how we are to arrange the the use of gift in our own particular local church. Now, that's been long. I hope it's been helpful. Thank you.